Genesis, if you'll turn there. I'm not going to work through 13 or 14 chapters there. Genesis 37 through 50 is the story of Joseph. And we're going to look at God using providence to bring about his promises. Providence is a word, if you don't know what it means, it's divided up to word pro, and that means beforehand, and video, which means to see. So it means to see beforehand. It's actually more than that, but it's at least that. Providence is a doctrine that insists that everything happens, everything that happens does so because God wills it to happen. He wills it to happen before it happens. We call that foreordination. And he wills it to happen in the way that he ha- it happens. And that's called foreknowledge. I know that, again, my, I'm, I'm noticing myself, my illustrations are getting from older and older times in my life. But Doris Day, everyone, anyone even remember, right? Doris Day, of course you do, right? Yeah. Doris Day sang a song. What does it mean? K Sarah Sarah. Remember what that means? Yes, whatever will be, will be. That's called fatalism, right? Fatalism. And Kesara doesn't work for Christians. Why? Because it's not whatever will be, will be. It's how God has designed it and foreordained it. That's what will be. And we believe that because we believe God is sovereign. Um, God's providence is more, as I said before, than the ability for God, of God to see ahead of time what's going to happen. Let me say that it's his active, determined care to ensure what he has promised for us actually comes to pass. So I can tell you this, we can be confident in so many different ways because not one word of God's, as Joshua said, not one word that he has ever told us and promises has ever failed. Inside the view of providence, there's all kinds of views. Some of them are views that says because they try to coordinate sovereignty with human uh, responsibility, and it ends up being that God really doesn't have control, that he is at the whims of people's choices. And I won't go into all those views. Some of them have him having no control, some of it meaning he has limited control. But biblically and traditionally, the doctrine of, of providence that we hold to is that God is not limited and he is in 100% control. And as Spurgeon once said in a sermon, there is no maverick molecules. Not even down to a molecule. God is in control of every single thing that happens. Why does that matter? Why are we doing this series? Let me give you a couple up front. Prayer, as we mentioned tonight, we are sure that when we pray that God will answer our prayers because he is in control of every detail of every person and every creature and every event and everything that's taking place. That's how sovereign he is. I like to quote Job And toward the, uh, I think it's chapter 27, that he says he makes it to rain lightly and rain heavy. He brings storehouses of snow out. And so even God is in sovereign control about how hard or how heavy it rains. Even all those details. He has not wound the clock and moved out as the deists would say. But God is in complete control. And because we know that, we can believe that he will answer prayers. We also believe that during our suffering, that God is sovereign. Why does that matter? Because Satan is not in control. Uh, Terrorists and persecutors are not in control. Cancer is not in control. God is. 
always in control. How about salvation? Do you know, um, will all things work together for good? Well, not if God isn't sovereign. It all works together for good. Every aspect of our salvation and everything that goes into it so that we reach final glorification and, and, and spend eternity with God, all of that is under the sovereign care and providence of God. One of my, if not my favorite poem, it's got to be at the top. Listen to William Cooper, who wrote this poem. You, I know you know it because it was made into a hymn. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill. I want you to, oh, this is so rich, we could have a sermon on this thing. But never failing skill. God is skillfully working all of your details. Skillfully, with wisdom, into your life. He treasures up his bright, notice the, the architect and intention, his bright designs. It's not whimsical, it's not random. It's planned and designed everything in your life by God and works his sovereign will. Now, here's the practical. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. And you're going to see that in Joseph. Judge not the Lord. This is our problem. This is what we too often do. We judge the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. My favorite line, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan, this is what we're going to do tonight, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. This is from a man who had four severe, if I can say it this way accurately, four severe bouts with depression and was numerous times wanting to kill himself. That was William Cooper. But he wrote some of the most beautiful hymns in our hymn book, including this one, and God used him. But it was a struggle. This is how he got through. This is why he wrote this. And I want to show you tonight how that little poem can be a source of encouragement to your life as, as well. Scan his work. That's what we're going to do. Um, let me tell you how he's done that for me. And, and again, I'm like Jim. I could tell you stories. I'm going to do 30-second stories. I went to college, um, a little Pillsbury. Pillsbury is a little Bible college in Minnesota. I was from Ohio. The only reason I had ever heard of it because everyone, literally everyone in my church went to Bob Jones University. Everyone. All my pastors, most of the people there, all their children, not me. <laughs> my dad said, I don't want you going there. <laughs> so we looked, So someone said, have you ever heard of this little college, Bible college that Pillsbury, you know, the dope people, they started this. And a little town in a godforsaken cold place up there in Minnesota. And I went there, didn't sure I really wanted to go there. The first guy I met was the guy who was going to take me on a tour he was a junior in uh, my freshman year, but I met him. I stayed in his room. He was my guide, took me all around. His name was Dan Miller. Dan Miller became probably my top three best friends of my whole life. And uh, so I met him. And so I said, based on Dan Miller, his life and example, that's where I'm going. So I went to school there 
First year, he goes, hey, I want you to come with me. We don't, we're not going to serve here locally. We're going to go back to my home church. Little church, 70 people, two hours each way. I did that every, every Sunday for two years. And I met this girl named Chris Schroeder there. When I was a freshman, she was only 16. And she was in the youth group I worked in. And I went to her house uh, to have meals uh, they put us, the college students went to meal. And so every once in a while, I'd go to her house. Didn't think much of it. I knew her. That's about it. She came to college my first year. And we, her first year, my last. We dated. And six months later, we were engaged. Or something close to that. She could tell you the details better than me, probably. Um, but that's how it happened. But you know what? It's because I didn't go to that school where everyone else did. I met someone the first day that changed my life. Met her because of it. God worked it out. When Mackenzie was born, we moved here to New Jersey, and my wife was pregnant with Mackenzie when we first came here. And then she was born here, and three years later, she had ear tumors, and the number one specialist in the United States is in Philadelphia, and would not have been true if I would have stayed where I was. But God knew that and brought her here, and that changed her life. Pastor Steve, uh, I met him. I was a youth pastor his youth pastor for five years. I met him when he was in ninth grade, 15 years old, and 37 years later, we're still together. 37 years. I don't know if it's bad enough having me, but having both of us, I don't know how that worked. But God brought him here, and everything, he got married here, on and on, those stories go, right? Pastor Ray was coming through, and was all, someone told him, you can get support, perhaps, if you come as a missionary to Faith Baptist Church. He came here. I met him at the Dunkin' Donuts in Robbinsville, and he had Elizabeth with him. And we sat down, had a cup of coffee. I gave her a little Dunkin' Donuts card, and that kept her quiet for a little bit. <laughs> and we talked, and Pastor Ray and I hit it off like that. We were looking for someone to be the pastor of Mosaic, and I said, Pastor Ray, why don't you come and think about doing this instead of what you're doing? And he said, really? I go, yeah. And you know the history. Pastor Jim was here after all the years of coming to our church, 16 years-ish, around there somewhere, out in the foyer, and he's setting up his table for display. And I talked to him about, hey, I know you have that educational background. Did you ever think about going back into that? Hmm, kind of. And he was thinking about maybe future plans down the road. I go, we have an opening for our principal and you know the history. <laughs> Just a small conversation, but God works out all of those things. I went downtown 14 years to uh, do a Bible study in Trenton. And I started out with one guy who got saved in our church, come up and see me on lunch, and I want to have a Bible study and you disciple me. Um, so he got saved here. I discipled him there. Someone else found out I was discipling him and said, could I come in too? That started out and came to a Bible study um, there, and we had probably 15 to 20 people on a regular basis from eight or 10 different nations. Um, I did that for 14 years. That Somebody came from the downtown building and was there on a day of work and said, was invited to our Bible study. They came and said, wouldn't it be great if you came to our building downtown? I came to that building downtown and I did a Bible study there for many, many years. God blessed it. And every day I'd park. I'd park in a free zone because I want to pay. I, par I parked in kind of a bad neighborhood on this side. And I had to walk. 
And I found out later, I was walking alleys that were all gang infested. I don't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know any better. But I was walking there, and I got, and, I, and on my way to both, both of those things, I met two homeless guys separately and became friends with them. And we'd eat pizza after my Bible study on the steps where they had their little tent and stuff like that. And I got to be good friends with them. And I asked them on the same day, about a mile apart, if I could do one thing for you, what would it be? And they said, give me the dignity of taking a shower. That's how the shower trailer began and how God used that. And we had the shower trailer. People came to it. And from that, without making a long story short, Mosaic Baptist Church existed, right? All of those were based on small incidents, conversations, little, you know, people relationships that you hardly know. God uses providence, he does. In the Bible, you could tell your own providence story. Naomi, Ruth, Esther, Nehemiah, Moses will try to cover some of these ones. I like Joseph because when you scan God's work, to use that line of the poem, unfathomable minds, never failing skill, all of those come to mind, bright designs, um, that's Joseph. That's God working there. I'm going to give you a quote if you want to take a note to start off with. I'm going to refer to this all through the series. It, I, I read it about, I'm reading, I read the book, The Letters of John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace, Puritan, uh, really great, great godly man. In this little book, Letters of John Newton, he wrote this, and it sounds so simplistic, but it has rocked me in the last month. So for, to me, Everything, he says, everything is necessary that God sends. Nothing is necessary which God withholds. Simple, think about it, I, I dare you to, meditate on it, and then start to live it. I'm telling you, it is profound truth. Everything is necessary that God sends. Everything, everything that happened to you. I'll tell you how it works. Two days ago, I ordered a ton of stuff for VBS off of Amazon. And a lot of it. I was having a D group over at my house with six, five couples last night. And we were going to have hamburgers and hot dogs. So the night before, I'm on my grill outside. And I open it up and it's seemingly not doing anything. And so I look under the grates and those little... Kevin, what are the, 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 bur, the burners and the plate things? That, yeah, they're not, that's not the technical term. Shields, thank you. The shields, they were disintegrated. I mean, I touched one of them and they just completely went, blah. you know, I used it. So it was eight years old, I guess, whatever. So they were terrible. So I'm going like, wow, what a providence of God that it didn't fall apart and I couldn't do it tomorrow night when the, all the people come over. That would have been awful. So... I got the church grill. Kevin brought it over. So I'm, I'm doing that. And so that was a province. And then that day I had ordered literally hundreds of dollars of stuff and from VBS. And I got a, a new grill. Someone has been kind enough. They're going to put a new porch in my backyard, the whole thing for free. And so I was, that was an awesome providence. So I'm thinking like, so I've got this, all this stuff coming, but I didn't realize it. That um, I'll leave the name. My, my one of my family members used my internet Amazon account, and it switched to a different address, 
and a different everything for shipping. I didn't know they used it. Didn't even check. I never do. Everything, every single thing I brought, there were 37 things all went to a new address. <laughs> what a providence. Let me tell you, Pastor Walker didn't handle that providence very well. I wasn't very excited to be un- uninformed about that. And so, but it all has worked out. But you know what I thought to myself after I asked God's forgiveness for my response? <laughs> Here's what I, I found out. Everything God sins is necessary. Everything. And you know what I found? You know why I got that providence? I'm, I'm at least one thing to show me that I didn't believe that. Because <laughs> I didn't write. I didn't act right. Right? Everything that God sins is necessary. If it wasn't necessary for me to have that, that would never have happened. I believe that. Let me ask you, what are some necessary providences that you've experienced in recent weeks, days, months, years? Have you responded to it? Have you seen it as being from God's hand? Joseph did. Now, here's the thing before we get into the verses. We're going to take a long time. So providence is what we normally get when we look back at things. And, but before we do that and see God's hand because of how things turned out, before we can see that, oftentimes, if we're not careful, God will seem like he is MIA, like he is missing, missing an action. Um, let me tell you what I mean. By the time Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers to the time he was exalted in Egypt was 13 years. 13 years. Some people have called them a string of coincidences. Some have told, you know, just chance happenings. We know it's providence. Thir- watch. 13 straight years of a frowning providence. How would you like that? Now, you read the scriptures I have. I read Genesis 42, and it says that his brothers talk about what he was doing before they got, he's down in the pit, and it says he was crying out to them, and the Hebrew word pleading with them not to sell him. Basically, he's in this ditch. They can't even see him. It's a bottom-out well with no water in it. And he's crying and screaming and crying to them, begging them. And they sell him anyways. That was the beginning of 13 long years. And you know all the providences that he went through. But all of them were negative. I can't imagine Joseph being godly as he was. That for all those years, every time he faced something that he asked God to deliver him. How would you like to have 13 years that... Pretty much almost every time in a major occurrence in your life that you ask God to do something and every time he slammed the door in your face and said no. Can you handle that kind of providence? Frowning providences. No smiling face behind them for the longest time. How do we do it? Two things real quick. Ready? You have to have two things. Joseph had to see the macro story and the micro story, okay? He had to do both. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The macro story is, ready? Here's our, it's on the screen. Here's a revelation. His story takes place in Genesis 37 through 50, and there were 36 chapters before that. I know that's crazy. Isn't it awesome, right? But why does that matter? Because 
Genesis 3.15 says that there's going to be a seed of the serpent and a seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman will come, and eventually through the seed of the woman will come Israel, and through Israel will come the Messiah. Ready? So God keeps his promise, and he calls out in chapter 12 Abraham, and he makes him the father of a a nation. And then he has a son who the promises are given to, and his name is Isaac. And that son, Isaac, has a son of his own, and his name is Yaakov. We say Jacob, right? And Jacob comes, and he has sons. One of them is Joseph. You see how Joseph, he is tied to the promise, to the seed, to the line of people that are going to bring the Messiah into the world. And that's the big story. The big story is all that God is doing is to keep the redemptive story going. The big story, the umbrella story, the story that is arching over all the other story, including all the individual things that happened to Joseph, is that God is writing his story in history. Jacob sees it. Joseph sees it. You know how I know? This story ends, if you read Genesis 49 and 50, when all of it comes to an end and Jacob and Joseph die, both of them have a death wish. And I don't mean it the way we say it today. A death wish meaning when they died, they both ask, Jacob in 49, Joseph in 50, when I die, take my bones and bury them back in Canaan. Why? Because they knew the story they lived in was according to the promise that they would get the promised land. But you know what the crazy thing is? When Jacob died and Joseph died, you know how much property they had? They owned a burial cave in Machpelah, which is called, and that's all they had. A little cave and one little parcel of ground And that was it when God had promised them everything. But despite all of their setbacks and all the terrible providences and things that came their way, they believed that it had a purpose. Why? Because they saw themselves and everything in their lives as part of the bigger story that God was doing. You know how I know that in particular? Chapter 45, if you look there. Genesis 45. Joseph came to his brothers, verse 4. Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Underline that, whom you sold. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Number two, you sold me here. God sent me. Underline that. Because what you're going to see is two or three times, God, you sold me. Three times, God sent me. Put them together. You sold me, God sent me. They seeming are antithetical. They are completely opposite of one another. But when you believe in providence, when you understand that God is sovereign in control of all things, see, what looks like terrible things that can never become good, you sold me. What God does is he trumps it and controls all of it. God sent me. The only way you can look back and see what God is doing is to believe that what God does trumps what everybody else does. God controls what everybody else does. You sold me, God sent me. Let's make it personal. How about this in your life? You hurt me, but God helped me. You gave me abuse, but God gave me abundance. You left me, but God loved me. You see how it works? See, God says, 
I know that happens in your life, and I know this looks awful. You sold me. But God says, look, I'm working in this situation. You sold me, but I sent you. I sent you in my life. Corey Ten Boom, in her book, The Hiding Place, wrote a story about her and her sister, Betsy, who hid Jewish people and got caught and were in concentration camp for it. And during their concentration camp, what happened to is, is they weren't allowed to do very much showering or cleaning up of themselves. And so their ladies' dormitory got infested because the guards weren't very nice and let them shower. So the guards basically gave them, they got lice and fleas all over and it was itchy and it was terrible. And it was a horrible frowning providence. And they talked about how everything was, everyone had it and it was terrible in there. Until they realized that because they had fleas and because they had lice, none of the soldiers would ever want to come into their barracks. And so they had Bible studies unlimited with all the ladies in there who had fleas and lice and won many of them to the Lord. Why? Because of the providence of lice and fleas. (laughs) What looks terrible, a frowning providence, was a, a smiling face. See, you did this, guards, but God did this. You gotta see yourself every day when you get up And you got to tell yourself, every day I live in this story, the same story that Joseph lived in. I live in the macro story where God is doing everything. And by the way, you have to come to the conclusion, if you believe you're in that story, that God cares, if I can say it this way, God cares more about the entire story for the entire world than he actually does your comfort. Not because he doesn't care about your comfort, But he cares about the big story and the story he's telling. And he is willing to use us and allow suffering to come into our life if he can tell best that big story. So there's a macro level that God is teaching us about providence that is absolutely necessary to see his hand and why it gives meaning and purposes to our suffering and to our difficulties. But also, if you want to real quick with a few minutes left, there is a micro level On a personal level, someone said, you know this phrase, the devil is in the details. Truly God is in the details. He's in the macro details and he's in the micro details. Where Joseph was born, who Joseph was born to, his family, his dad, his mom, which was different than the other kid's mom, right? What was going on in their family? He got the coat of many colors, not anybody else. He was, he was the favorite, not anybody else. Why does that matter? Let me tell you what it took for Joseph to get to Egypt so he could deliver his family so they could stay alive and not starve to death during the seven years of famine and how they could stay alive and eventually bring the Messiah into this world. Jacob had, on the day that he was sold, Jacob had to send Joseph to check on his brothers, which wasn't common because you don't usually travel around in those areas by yourself, but he was sent by himself. He didn't have a couple guys from the camp go with him. He wasn't guarded. He wasn't helped. He was by himself, a providence. Jacob had to believe that his sons were grazing in Shechem, Genesis 37, 12, but they weren't, although he thought so. They were actually in Dothan, 
chapter 37, verse 17. Why does that matter? Because if he knew they were in Dotham, it's way farther away, and he probably wouldn't have sent them by himself that far. But he didn't know. He thought they were in Shechem. So Joseph goes to Shechem first, and when he comes to Shechem, he comes across a stranger that he had never met before, and he asked him, have you ever, do you know or have heard of my brothers or where they might be? He doesn't know them, and he has heard, but not because he knew, but because he overheard someone else having a conversation about where their brothers were. He just heard it. And so he is the one who talks to Joseph and relays the story and tells him where to go. If it wasn't for that, he would have never found them, and none of it would have ever happened. When he gets there, he is thrown into a pit and they're in Dothan. Dothan is way out in the middle of nowhere. And there's no way, if he was in a big city where in Shechem, they would have ever got a way of disposing of Joseph like they did. But because they're out in the middle of nowhere and no one else is around, they had the freedom to do exactly what they wanted, which they did. Reuben, the older brother of all of them, was not in favor of mistreating him or selling him or any of that. But for some reason, it doesn't even give the reason in the Bible, he was away for a little bit, and when he came back, they sold him. So in his absence, if he was there, it would never have happened. Joseph was traded just in time with, with a group of traders coming by at the exact same time his brothers needed to get rid of him. Which, by the way, not only was bad, but also saved his life. Because they could have murdered him. All of that took place to get Joseph to Egypt. Once he gets in, Jesus, in, in, in uh, Egypt, he has to be sold to Potiphar in particular. And Potiphar's wife, who is immoral and tries to ha- be that way with him, and then he is convicted. Potiphar knew the truth most likely because he knew what his wife was like and stood up for her and not him. He gets thrown in prison. And when he's in prison... He gets forgotten. But eventually, they put, the Pharaoh gets upset and angry with the guy and puts him in jail. And he hears and knows Joseph, gets out of jail, forgets him for a couple years, but eventually mentions him to the king. And all that conversation and all that time, he eventually gets out, becomes the head of everything, saves his brothers, saves everything. <laughs> now, can I tell you this? Talk about detail. Talk about conversations, words, overhearing stories. Can I tell you this? There is not a single thing that you think is non-important in your life. God says it all matters. It all matters. Who you have, conversations. Listen, it all matters because God is in the details. Everything had to be just right to get him to Egypt or it would never have happened. Imagine this. There are books written on, not about this. Imagine if things didn't happen this way. Thousands of people in Egypt would have died because they never would have been fed for the famine. His family would have died. Messiah wouldn't have come. And you and I wouldn't be sitting here tonight. (laughs) You know what I've learned? A couple lessons and I'll be done. There are two stories in the Bible about what took place at Dothan. The first one is Joseph's story of being sold. You know what the other one is? In 2 Kings chapter 6... Elisha and his servant are staring out the window, and they are surrounded by the army of their enemies. Of course, the servant, you know the story, is all bent out of shape and afraid. And he says, God, let him open his eyes, let him see. So they see the chariots of God and all the spiritual angels and in the, in the, all that army taking place. 
And Elisha prays, and immediately he is answered, immediately he is protected, and they are delivered. At that same story in the Bible, geographically, one person prays and asks for help and is rejected. Elisha prays, same place, and he is answered immediately. Providence can work that way. Sometimes God answers prayers fast, and sometimes he answers prayers slowly. You know what providence wants to teach you and I tonight? Is when the providences are slow and the frowning providences last perhaps for years, God says, I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to learn to see me in every detail of your life. Remember what Cooper said? The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break upon your head. That's what it is. Ultimately, the blessings broke on Joseph. He was restored. His family was saved. And all of Egypt was spared. Amazing blessings. Amazing blessings. Someone has said this, and I close. God does not give us exactly what we ask for. Instead, he gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. Can I tell you this? When God says no for 13 years, trust him in this. You would know that he shouldn't give those things to you if you knew what he knew. If you knew the big story, if you saw the big narrative, if you saw the framework, if you saw all those things, you would know that God's no's are absolutely best. You know why? Because everything God sends in your life is necessary. And nothing that he withholds is necessary. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the life of Joseph. So many details, so many twists and turns. And Lord, we've, it's not just something that you did for Joseph. It's what you do for all of us. What you are doing for all of us if we have eyes to see. May we trust you, God. May we trust your wisdom. May we trust your love that when the answers are no, that you do it out of concern and care for us and you have larger things in mind. May we also trust your timing. Oh, Lord, 13 years seems so long. But we've already learned in recent weeks that's nothing compared to eternity. So God, help us. Help us above all else tonight to be comforted perhaps by the greater Joseph, Jesus, whose brothers sold him too for silver. But look at all the details, all the things that you weaved into the tapestry of Jesus' life to bring him, Joseph, to Egypt, Jesus to the cross. Oh God, all the things, all the things that people said and did because you are sovereign. You are in control. May that fortify us from the fears and the anxieties and the thoughts that would help us to or keep us from trusting in you. God, help everyone tonight and those that we prayed for. 
Help us to see providence, your providence, your hand, and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.